we do depend on it, but it's we'll just we'll move forward. So at the, at verse twenty eight of Acts twenty one, um, this is where they come in to the temple, and they they crying out. Verse twenty eight says, "Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people." And the law in this place, speaking of the temple, Jerusalem, and further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. They had seen before him uh, in the city uh, Tremius, yeah, it's close, and a fish in whom they supposed that Paul brought into the temple, which we know he did not. So in all the city moved in an uproar and they got a big mob going, they arrested Paul. And actually, you read on down, and I'm going to kind of skip through it. Uh, the Roman uh, uh, soldiers actually saved Paul's life here. They rescued him because this mob would have killed him. Uh, they would have stoned him, ripped him to shreds, beat him to death, whatever. They, they would have killed him. So they arrest him. And then um, go down to, to verse 37. I'm going to read that. I always found this kind of amazing. Uh, Acts 21 and 37, it says, As Paul was led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Now if you look back at this and read commentaries and, and things about it, look at the language that Paul used and the way he said this kind of eloquently, he took the Roman centurion by shock. The leader, he was like, You're an educated man, you know. Notice what he says next, and that explains some of it. He said, Art not thou that Egyptian which before these days made us an uproar and led us out into the wilderness four thousand men that were murderers? But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, a citizen of no mean country, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. Now what is going on here is earlier... Uh, there was a guy from Egypt who had a bunch of people come with him and he, he was going to try to take over and uh, led a big uh, mob. And, of course, the Roman soldiers drove him out. This guy escaped. And that's who the Roman centurion, the Roman leader, thought Paul was. He thought he was back to try this again. And what Paul was saying when he says, I'm a citizen of no mean city, he's not saying that I'm not a citizen. What he's getting at is I'm not that mean guy that you think I am. I'm not from Egypt. I'm not from a mean, meager, ungodly place is what he's kind of getting at. So he's not saying, uh, I'm not a citizen, period. He, he's, he's putting in reference the accusation that was put against him. He's saying, I'm not that guy. So verse 40, we had given him license. In other words, he said, sure, go ahead and talk to the people. Paul stood on the stairs and he beckoned with a hand to the people. When there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying. And so I'm going to basically tell you um, what he said, and I'm going to remind you of some things. Uh, if you remember, we talked about this when we went through Acts. Uh, we learned about this when Paul came back uh, here to Jerusalem. When he was first came to Jerusalem the first time, after he was saved, does everybody remember that? Uh, we learn about this later on. He wanted to stay there and witness, and Jesus told him to leave. He said, but Lord, with my upbringing and my testimony, I can have an influence. And God said, no, you can't. I want you to leave. So keep that in mind. 
Now what Paul did here is he gave them his testimony. He told them, if you look in verse 3, he said, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye are all this day. So what he's saying is, you remember the guy that I was. You remember the one that went after the church. You remember the guy who... Uh, who went after all the people uh, with, with, I mean, fire like nobody else. I arrested Christians. I, my desire, my total intention was to shut the church down. He said, you, basically he's saying, you remember that fellow. Now let me tell you who I am now. So he goes to this chapter and he's telling them his testimony, how that on the road to Damascus he was born again, how that he was saved, he saw the vision of Jesus. And then I want you to go down to verse 21. Is everybody there? I always like to make sure. That way I haven't went off and left anyone. And, he's, and he said unto me, notice the words in red, this is Jesus speaking, depart for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Now, notice what happens next. And they gave him audience unto this word and then lifted up their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth for it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out, cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air, and the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade him that he should be examined by scourging that he might know wherewith they cried so against him. So the Jews were giving him ear. They were listening to him till he said one key word. And that word was Gentiles. When he said Gentiles, Man, they went nuts. Because remember, it's not so much that the Jews hated the Gentiles is they couldn't stand the fact that for all these years they had ascribed to the law of God. They had done all, kept all the law, done all these rituals, all these rites, and all of a sudden the Gentiles just to get to walk into the grace of God freely. That didn't sit well with them. They didn't care to hear that. And that is a lot of, now granted, most of these people probably weren't saved. I dare to say some of them possibly were. And I'm going to tell you why. They were young Christians. They were still Jews. They still were struggling with the law and how the law suddenly did not count like it once did. And I want to tell you something. It's easy to get caught up in a moment. Even as a Christian. If you don't think it is, when's the last time you got mad enough at somebody do you want to smack them? <laughs> You're, and you are exactly right. All of that goes out the window. Your, their laws meant nothing to them when they had an agenda. And, and even, even as Christians, as you and I, and that's a good point and a good way of putting it. And I'm glad you mentioned it. If we get an agenda, God don't matter. We lose all sense of what is right and wrong and we're just bare on forward. And I, and I dare say some of these people in this mob very likely were born again Christians. It's very possible. Um, if you look on your timeline, on our, on our paper, um, Go to, go to 57, A.D. 57. 
All right, so is everybody there on your timeline? I assume we are. So if you look at AD 57, if you notice, that's when Paul writes the book of Romans from Corinth. And in a few months, he made it all the way from Corinth all the way to Jerusalem. You see about halfway down or about a quarter of the way down in your block there of AD 57, Paul arrives in Jerusalem. Paul's arrested at the temple. He's placed in prison. And then you've got Acts 22. Uh, Jews plan to kill Paul. Uh, so Paul is transferred to Caesarea. So now after he is, excuse me, uh, is arrested, um, they, um, the Romans plan to scourge him. And this is about the only time uh, maybe one other time that I can think of that Paul spoke up and said, I'm a Roman, and you're getting ready to beat me, you're getting ready to scourge me, and I've not even been tried yet. So obviously the centurion said, whoa. <laughs> so he stepped back, because here's why. Once you said you're a Roman, you had rights that other people did not have. And the trick is, if, the, if you claim to be a Roman citizen and you were not, does anybody remember the punishment for that? You were killed. So if you said you were a Roman citizen, friends, you better be able to back it up. And so the Roman, the chief captain that was in charge, if in verse 28, if you look, and he said, with the great sum obtained I this freedom, and Paul said, but I was born free, or I was free born. In other words, I was born into a, as a Roman citizen. I got that citizenship because of where I was born, who I was born to, what have you. So that is how he became that. So if you, we pick it up in chapter 23, uh, that is the first trial he goes through. And the high priest, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisee, the Sanhedrin, uh, the Sadducees and Pharisees, all of them came and they put their accusations against Paul. Uh, the chief captain was like, uh, you know, Paul stood up he, he, and uh, he told him, if you look, and again, I'm going kind of to go through this. He basically said in verse 6, uh, let's read this, but when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees, the other Pharisees, he cried out uh, in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead I am called into question. Now, uh, and when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the multitude was divided. Notice verse 8, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. So what Paul did in front of them is he turned, he made that one statement which he knew would turn them against each other. And it did. So they get in a big argument amongst each other, ready to, ready to, to put them up. And so basically then after they got themselves up in a big tizzy and got all tore up, they then turned their attention back towards Paul and the, the chief captain said, get him out of here, saved him again. And so they said, you need to go to Caesarea and stay in trial. Hence this map. So here's Jerusalem. If you look, I know it's hard to tell by this one. I was trying to find another one, but I, I couldn't get it to come up. Jerusalem is a much higher elevation than Caesarea. So this is the path, more than likely, that he, uh, they took to get him to Caesarea. And there went my screensaver. Uh, 
Got it 15 minutes. I guess can set it to 30. So at least we got something halfway going here. So if you look, this one is a little different. Um, these little blocks here. Uh, Paul's defense for the Sanhedrin. He's arrested. Uh, then it's, you can see by this also somewhat. I know it's a little bit blurry. But you can see this is a higher elevation than Caesarea because Caesarea is also on the sea, which means it is at sea level. See, it's, I'm teaching you all kinds of geography and history. You'll be smart time, or a lot less smart, probably. Um, yes. Yeah. They're, they could purchase their Roman citizenship. Yep. I guess you could, yeah. Yeah. But he, but no. Right. You have to be born again. You have no way to, to purchase that. That is correct. Um, but because of who the family Paul was born to, uh, he got that privilege. I did some research on it, and uh, it's possible that um, someone in his family was a Roman soldier. Uh, there were certain areas where Rome gave the people citizenship when they conquered it. You know, there could be different reasons why he was born into it. Uh, if you look also, let me point this out because I know sometimes I like to look at stuff like this. Other people may not. This scale right here, that is 20 miles. So you look at that. They traveled a little distance to get there. It wasn't just a you know little fairy tale walk there to, to get him to Caesarea. So, if you remember, uh, Paul's nephew caught wind of the plan to kill him on the way to Caesarea. He come and told Paul. Paul got the chief captain and said, "This this little fellow here has got something he needs to share with you." So he tells the chief captain that. So they said, "We're transporting by night." And they also sent 400 soldiers, approximately 400 soldiers with him to protect him. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. We, and me included, we worry so much sometimes about how is this going to be possible. God used the enemy to get Paul safely transported to where he needed him to be. And by using the enemy... That was by far the finest guard could have had with him to get him there. There's no one any safer that could have transported him than those Roman soldiers. Because I'll promise you, the Jews were not going to mess with them. And neither was anybody else. Who was in charge of the most in the known world at this time? Rome. 
They ruled it all. I mean, who's going to come against these 400 soldiers? What are you going to do to them? They ruled the whole known world. So he was in perfect protection, for lack of better words, on the way to Caesarea. So they sent him there to stand trial. Now, um, if you look there in, in your timeline, it says uh, 57 down next to the bottom of that block, Paul's in prison in Caesarea for two years that Jimmy Googled real quick, but was the answer was right there. Uh, and... Um, Paul appears before Felix, if you look at Acts 24. So, and I'm kind of, you know, rather than going through all of this, because we went through all of this. We've, I hope you remember some of it. Um, and he stands before Felix. He goes to trial before Felix. And, of course, he gave him uh, uh, the, the opportunity to speak. Turn to Acts 24. I'm going to point just a couple things out. I found this kind of interesting. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, verse 1, Acts 24. And after five days, Ananias, the high priest, ascended with the elders and with a certain, or, certain orator named Tertullius, who informed the governor against Paul. Now, this was their lawyer. This was the guy they hired to say, we need you to go with us up here We've got to get this guy stoned. We've got to get him killed. So, and when he was called forth, Tertullius began to accuse him, saying, seeing that by, notice how he makes his opening statement. He says, seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness and that uh, very worthy deeds are done to this nation by thy providence. We accept it always and in all places most noble Felix." with all thankfulness, notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency a few words. Now the first thing this lawyer did was blow smoke all over Felix because everything he just said was a complete lie. Felix did nothing to help the Jews. He didn't care about them. I mean, that's just, so in 2,000 years, not much has changed. And I'm not going to say anything bad about lawyers because I've been recorded. <laughs> but anyone that stands in front of anyone if you think you can gain favor by showering them with praise that's what we do and that's exactly what he did they didn't like him he didn't like them and they didn't like him and they knew it so he goes on he accuses Paul but he never really says anything about him he just says he come into the temple and he really they, there's no, nothing they brought against him that was worthy of being arrested. He just threw out some ideas. So Paul takes the podium. Um, notice what he says in verse 10. Then Paul, after that, the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Because thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues or in the city, neither can they prove the things where they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee that uh, after the way which they call heres heresy, 
so worship by the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also follow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. So I want to pause there in the reading. And what Paul is basically saying here is, look, Festus or Felix, you've been in charge now for a while. You've understood some of these Jewish ways. You understand some of the Jewish traditions. You know a little bit of what's going on. And the very thing I've been accused of, they believe. And that's basically what he's telling them. They believe the very thing that they're accusing me of. And you're seeing it lived out here in my life. And so he goes on to tell uh, Felix in a little bit more about his uh, testimony about how he was saved and how he saw the truth in the scripture through Jesus Christ. Notice verse 22, when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way. What is that way? Does anybody remember? What's considered that way? In the book of Acts, early on in the church, you're mumbling. Yeah. Plan of salvation. They caught it the way. If you remember, throughout the book of Acts, it is called the way a lot of the time. Because that was the way to eternal life. And it was often called the way. Um, so that's what he's referring to here. Um, now I lost my place. Oh well. But uh, so basically in verse 22, when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. So basically what he's saying is, when the chief captain of the, of the Roman army who brought you, arrested you, he gets down here, we're going to talk about this some more. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He had hoped also that money should be given him of Paul, that he might lose him, wherefore uh, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. But after two years, Prochus Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to shew the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So Felix doesn't spend his time as ruler. He's kind of pushed to the side now. His time's up. Festus comes on the scene. And uh, notice what it says here. I'm amazed at how many people this affected. It says Felix trembled. I have witnessed to people one time, and I've actually witnessed to a guy that I used to work with. While we were working, he was welding. I was fitting for him at the time. I was working in a fab shop. And he actually was shaking from the plan of salvation. To my knowledge, he's not been saved to this day. That's been a well over 20 years ago. Probably 25 years ago. He was shaking. And I told him, he said, I'm nervous. I said, son, there's nothing wrong with you but conviction. He said, I can't even weld. I said, there's a reason why. Good guy. I liked him. James Rourke was his name. I don't know if he's ever been saved or not. I hope. And I'm sure you guys have seen people in church 
standing there, they hold on to the pew where they just sit there themselves, their heads down. You can tell that they're torn all to pieces. Do what? It probably was all of us to a degree at some point. Um, and I've never read, there's nowhere in history recorded that Felix ever got born again. It's nowhere in history do we have any recording whatsoever of him being saved. So we'll stop there for tonight and we'll roll on through this um, next Wednesday. Um, but we go through AD 57, 58, then we're down to AD 59 and that is where uh, he, Festus comes into power and when he does, he instantly has this problem he's got to deal with. Felix left him in prison um, to make the Jews happy. You know, a lot of times when a sitting president goes out of the office, what, are the, what is one of the things that they oftentimes do? Like their last day or two, they pardon a bunch of prisoners. Do you know why they do it their last day or two? Nobody can really say anything. That's correct. So, um, Felix had the chance to do that, but he wanted to keep favor with the Jews, probably hoping to be ruler somewhere else or just whatever. And uh, so he, he left him in prison. So Festus comes on the scene, and Festus has this situation now he's got to deal with. Uh, he's got a mess to, to try to clean up. So we'll talk about that next Wednesday. Has anybody got any questions of what we went over? That was a lot in a lot of ways, but like I said, just trying to recap it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. Wicked city. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. Um. <laughs> Not now. Probably was. Probably was. But back back then, I would say it was not a uh, pleasure walk. Uh, um, you know, they they rode horses more than likely to get him there. You know, so he didn't have to walk. He probably had the finest one of the finest horses money could buy to, to ride him to Caesarea. You know, so um, I heard something today on a message that I found interesting. Uh, if I can halfway repeat it. You know, uh, it's Brian McBride preaching, and, and I, he's one of my favorite preachers. Uh, highly, highly recommend you listen to any message he preaches. Um, but he was talking about wayward children and how, you know, you keep praying for them. He said a lot of times, and he told a story about a missionary, and he said he had one son who um, got married, 
stayed on the mission field. He just did everything right that God asked him to do. He said the same family raised another son. He said who decided he wanted to sin. He got in a lot of trouble for stealing. And I guess, I don't know if he ever got right with God or not. Um, told about another guy who had two sons. One of them was great son. The other one broke the dad's arm. Throwing a fit on his dad. He said, but the dad never gave up and the son finally came to Christ. He said, one thing he said that struck, stuck out to me though, he said, don't beat yourself up over the fact that your kids don't go the way that you wanted them to. He said, they made their decision. He said, if you did your best to raise them to fear God and to honor him, he said, then don't beat yourself up because your kids go the opposite way. Um, Jacob and Esau were raised by the same parents. Parents were their problem. But... You better believe it. There was times in your life that you neglected God, you went out on Him, then then you, you you know there's no sense in living in, in the past and beating yourself up, but at the same time you've got to look in the mirror. You can't blame God. <laughs> 